I just want to say I trust that you can say what some of the songs we've been singing this morning have said. Like there to my heart was the blood applied and glory to his name and uh, he's uh, alive, our good God. The resurrection, it's, you know, I know we talk about salvation and the cross, but the resurrection, if, if I could say it, if a favorite topic in the entire Bible, this is what it is. This is what it is. It's my, it, my absolute favorite. I love reading about it. I have uh, tried my best to commit a lot of what the New Testament says about resurrection to uh, memory. For Christians today, and not just today, not just today, we celebrate the resurrection every single day. And we should celebrate that our Lord is alive every day. But today we mark it, and it's not just today, but the entire week from last Sunday, which we call Palm Sunday, uh, throughout the week that we call Holy Week, to Friday, which we call Good Friday, where we've sung so much about what Jesus has accomplished for us there on the cross. And then to this morning, this morning, which... We celebrate Jesus alive, Jesus resurrected. Friday was all about the cross, Jesus sacrificing his life, shedding his blood, making available to every single one of us eternal life, which is an amazing, amazing thing. And why the cross? Why? why? We have sung about it this morning. Uh, we just heard a song where the, the blood was highlighted, and that seems awful. It can, but when you think about the cross, that it was a sacrifice for our lives that we could receive eternal life, it's an amazing thing. It was, the cross was the culmination of a plan. It was a culmination of a plan since the beginning of time, since before time was even created, believe it or not, and that's really difficult for our, our human minds to comprehend, but it was, and it was by the God of creation, the God over everything, and there's nothing above him, nothing at all above him, the God of creation, who is expressed as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and those three are one, Again, hard for our human minds to comprehend and connect with that, but that's our God. Our God is one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. And he, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're all active in creation, and yet they're distinct. Uh, they created, and when the first human couple called Adam and Eve were created, God granted them dominion over the entire world entire world, every living thing, every plant, every animal. He gave them, said, this is, this is under you. Subdue them. They were subordinate with one exception, one single exception. Don't touch this tree. God said, just don't touch it. He was very clear. If you even touch it, you will surely die. Now think of all the real estate, the entire globe, except for a few square feet. The entire globe, think if it was yours. The entire thing, all of it. Just don't touch these few square feet. You'd think it'd be enough. Genesis, the 
First book of the Bible talks about it, Genesis 3, chapter, uh, Genesis 3 verse 3. It, it tells us that that's what God said. Don't touch it, or you will surely die. And that seemed to chafe at these first two. And then when the opportunity presented itself to be like God, they took it. That's the next verse, Genesis 3, 4. We won't die. No, no, we're not going to die. God would never do that. So in their arrogance and in their pride and in their lust to be equal with God, the first man and the first woman, they rebelled against God. A few square feet of real estate, they went after it. They did the one thing he asked them, the one single thing, do not do. You got the entire globe, everything under it, every living thing. And yet they rebelled. And there's one simple three-letter word that describes their rebellion. It's called sin. Sin separated mankind from God, from their creator, and sin ushered into the world death. But so many don't like that. They don't. They don't want to hear it. God's to blame. It's God's fault. God is harsh. God is hateful. God is brutal. And you know, I'm not making that up. Some people think that. And on Friday, Good Friday, which for Christians marks the day that Jesus Christ went to the cross, and in the Jewish faith it marked Passover, where they celebrate that God passed over the firstborn for all of the the Israelites that marked their, their doors with the blood of a lamb, and it was the Egyptians' firstborn. They were enslaved by the Egyptians, and the, the Egyptians' firstborn, uh, were, they died. And that's why it's called the Passover. In the New York Times, on Good Friday, there was an op-ed. An op-ed where uh, it was titled, Let's Pass Over God. Now, the author who was raised an Orthodox Jew This is what he wrote. I'm going to share with you something. This was New York Times, the so-called paper of record, op-ed on Friday. God threw Adam and Eve out of, uh, God threw Adam out of Eden for eating an apple. That's called being heavy-handed. Cursing all women for eternity because of Eve's choices, that's called collective punishment. Don't do that. Perhaps now is a good time to stop emulating this hateful God. Perhaps we can stop extolling his brutality. And that was because of the things that happened in Egypt. Perhaps we can stop extolling his brutality. Perhaps now is a good time to teach our children to pass over God, to be as unlike him as possible. So this author evidently upset at God. He's calling him hateful and... Brutal. Yet this author conveniently skipped over the part where the entire world was given to to Adam and Eve. He doesn't let the reader know that God said the whole earth is yours, every living thing, except these few square feet. He doesn't let the reader know that God said, if you touch this, you will surely die. This author sounds a bit embittered. Evidently, he does not like that God is not a liar. 
The author does not like that God is just and fair and that he kept his word. He did what he said. That, that part of, was left out of this little article, this little op-ed. God kept his word just as he said. The author accuses God of being hateful and brutal. Death came into the world, yes. Came into the world with sin and evil. And it wasn't because God was hateful or brutal, but because his creation, those he created, thought, well, we're above him. He can dictate to us now, or or we can dictate to him. He can't dictate to us. We're going to go over his head. Creation rejected him. Sin, evil, death came in the world. Now, when that sinks in, when we can come to terms with that, that he has made us, not we ourselves. We are his creatures. He's not my creature. I'm created. We can come to that and realize that and accept it. Perhaps we can now begin to look at things with a little different perspective and see sin for what it is. See sin for what, what it is. It brought death into the world. And it required something to deal with it. It required a death to eliminate it. Before the cross, before that sacrifice of Christ, there was an extensive sacrificial system to deal with sin. Sin was evil. Sin brought death into the world. It brought pain and destruction. And that was not God's doing. That was man's doing. That was man's rebellion, mankind. And yet God God dealt with it. In fact, God promised. God promised he would deal with it. And he made the promise to the first man and woman. Again, that was left out of the article. The New York Times, that author ignored it. God told the first man and the first woman, their offspring would deal with this evil and death that had come into the world. And God kept his promise. God is a promise keeper. And what did he do? He did it himself. He did it himself. He became a man. Jesus, to feel human pain and suffering and to experience what we experience. And he gave his life an offering for sin forever, forever, done. Never to have to deal with the uh, sacrificial system again. And, you know, that wasn't brutal or hateful. That was love and grace. But so many reject that idea. So many reject Jesus And they continue to reject God. They continue to accuse him of being hateful and brutal because there's still pain. We still feel pain. There's still suffering. We still live on this earth that experiences these things. Why? Well, there's still sinners. There are still sinners on the earth. There are still still evil on the earth. There are still those who refuse and reject God. But that doesn't mean there's no solution. By giving his life on the cross, that's what we talked about on Friday, Jesus won eternal life for all who receive his offering. And then there's this reunion, a reunification, a reconciliation with the God of creation, and it's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. And when we receive Christ, we gain eternal life for our souls, our our spirits. They will live forever. That's also an amazing, amazing promise. But what about this body? What about the the mortal body? The reality is one day it's going to die. Uh, Unless we're here when Christ returns, but I'm not, 
I'm not focusing on that. The reality is we're going to die. You might scratch your head and say, well, I thought the promise of God was that he would save us. Wasn't that the promise even back in the garden that I already mentioned? He'd send a savior to deal with this and he'd deal with death. Well, Jesus did. He did. On the cross, he made a way for eternal life for our spirits. That's for sure. And he died. He was put in a tomb. And on the third day, being in that tomb, cold, dead, he came back to life. He arose alive. And he made a way for eternal life for these bodies. So, so they're, we're covered. We're covered. Spirit, body, he covered everything. And I don't think that's hateful. I don't think it's brutal. But yet, how did it come about? How did it come about that, that these mortal bodies and that mortal body of Christ rose from the dead? Friday was about him dying and going to the tomb. Today's about him coming back to life. Like every human before him, everyone after him, Jesus died. His body was laid in a tomb. We heard, we heard this morning from the Gospel of Matthew how not only did he die and he was laid in a tomb, but his enemies locked it up. They set guards in front of it. They thought someone was going to come and steal his body. Jesus had talked about it. He had told his friends several times, I'm going to die. But he promised them. He promised it would not be uh, the end. And we, we heard this also in the opening video. I give you one example. It's recorded several times in the New Testament. One example is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. It's verse 21. From that time on, from that time on, what had just occurred was Peter had told Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He, Jesus said, oh, Peter, finally, you're getting it. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. And then from that time on, from this time where his, his disciples started to say, hey, you are the son of God. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He just started talking about it openly. And if you read the Gospels several times, that's repeated. Jesus telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. And even though he repeated himself multiple times, it was tough for them to get it. It'd be tough for me to get it. Really, really, it's difficult to, to comprehend. That's really going to happen? And then when he died... Then when he died, the reality of death, bam, really it, it hit him right in the face and it was emotional and they were frightened. So they, they thought they were uh, going to be next to be crucified. We were reminded of that on Friday how all of Jesus' followers scattered. Save one. They, they, they were frightened and they ran. And they really weren't waiting for Jesus to rise again. I mean, how could that happen anyway? They had witnessed this. They had witnessed it. Think about it. You walked with this man for several years, and you watched him raise people from the dead. There was a widow who was conducting a funeral for her own son coming out of this little town called Nain. 
It's her only son. She's a widow. Jesus stopped the funeral procession, and he raised this young man from the dead. Came back to life. Amazing. These disciples witnessed it. Then there was this synagogue leader. His name was Jairus. He had a 12-year-old daughter who died. And Jesus, at his house, said, oh, why are y'all wailing? She's only sleeping. They laughed at him. But he took that little girl by the hand. She came back to life. Again, his, his followers saw this. Jesus, then one of the greatest ones, so many people saw it, really incensed the, the Jewish leaders, was his friend Lazarus. He stood outside Lazarus's tomb after Lazarus had been in there four days. And he said, Lazarus, come out. And the man walked out of the the tomb with his grave clothes on. Now his disciples had witnessed these great miracles of resurrection. But Jesus had done it. Jesus had done it. Who's going to raise Jesus? There was no one to say, Jesus, come out. Or was there? Was there? Jesus said he was going to rise again. He promised it. And it happened. The Apostle Paul, the great writer of the New Testament, he encapsulates all that I've said here in just a few lines in the opening of his letter to the church in Rome. The opening lines. He just puts it right into a little nutshell. I want to read it to you. Romans chapter 1, it's verses 1 through 4. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel, the good news of God. The gospel he promised beforehand beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, that's Jesus, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This, is, this just puts it all together. The gospel, the good news said that there would be a savior to fix this problem of sin. And that was promised. It was foretold for years and years and years. And then Jesus came to earth as a man. His human genealogy pointed back to King David, the great king of Israel. And then Jesus died. But it was the spirit, the spirit of holiness, Paul wrote. And that's a Hebrew way, a Hebraic way of saying the Holy Spirit. This is how Uh, The Old Testament writers referred to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of holiness. The Holy Spirit declared or proved that Jesus was the Son of God in power by resurrection. Resurrection from the dead. In other words, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus. But as Jesus' body laid in that tomb, death seemed so final. It just seemed so final. Jesus was dead. And all hope seemed to be dashed. His followers, they couldn't see any way for resurrection. They really couldn't. Someone they deeply, deeply loved and followed had died, and they were in mourning. What could they do? Pilate had set all these guards in front of the tomb, locked it, sealed it. Had they been able to get inside that tomb, there would be Jesus. And they could try to shake him and do some things, but there'd be no response. He was dead. And who's going to say to him, Jesus, get up, Jesus, come out. Would it be Peter? Would it be John? Would it be James? No. No, none of them. Because it was brought about 
by the Holy Spirit. Paul, he opened his letter to, to Romans telling them that. By the working of the Holy Spirit, the dead body of Jesus was glorified and it was brought back to life. And he came out of the tomb. The Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, death, physical death, it was overcome. So Paul, he declared that at the opening of his letter, but read that letter. Read that letter about uh, the, the Holy Spirit in the letter to the Romans. Paul, he just keeps going on and on and on. He tells us uh, over almost three dozen times, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He mentions the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a few introductory lines. When you get to the chapter 8, chapter 8, it's just, it's concentrated on this idea that the Holy Spirit is powerful and does things like resurrecting bodies. Now consider this. Consider what Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 8 about the, the resurrection. And we've been talking about this week after week, about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11. Paul said, you, you who believed, you believed in Jesus. This was his reference. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. He had been writing about those who are off in the world, living in the flesh. They didn't care about spiritual things. They didn't care about salvation through Jesus Christ. You however, are not in that realm, that realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit if, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. We've sung about that. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. I want to read that again. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, this body, this mortal body, subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, he's reiterating what he wrote at the open, now he's telling really plainly, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. It's the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. If he's living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. This man repeats it and repeats it. And this is an amazing, wonderful promise for, for, for eternity. It's the Holy Spirit who gives life. The Spirit he gives life to the spirit, and he gives life to the body. It's, it's all-encompassing. See, and Jesus personified it. He's our example. Again, week after week, we've been talking about how Jesus is our example. He personified it. He was the sacrifice for sin. He, Jesus put on, he, he, he put on humanity, and he, uh, he presented God the Father in this visible way. He, he personified all of this, that he was the sacrifice for sin, and he could relieve any who would come to him. He could relieve you from spiritual death. Your spirits wouldn't die. But then he arose victorious over natural death, over physical death. The stone of his tomb, it was rolled away. And he walked out alive. Now he personified beating physical death. 
He personified beatings, spiritual death and physical death, all of it. And he did it visibly. He showed people. And it was all through the power of the Holy Spirit. All through the power of the Holy Spirit. He promised that same spirit to all who believe in him. He promised the spirit to us. It's the most beautiful. It's the most wonderful of promises. The spirit that filled Jesus. Read the Gospels. He was filled with the Holy Spirit as he walked on this earth. And that same Holy Spirit uh, led him and, and was his guide. And then that same Holy Spirit energized his dead body and enlivened that body. And he walked out of a tomb. The same spirit was promised to all of us. And, and that is just overwhelming. That same spirit to fill us and to guide us too. But not just that. To resurrect these mortal bodies. These mortal bodies are going to expire. That's a fact. But there's this promise they'll be resurrected and glorified just as Jesus was. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Just grab a hold of that. This promise is for you. But are you, are you angry at all? Are you embittered at all? Do you have anything like this, that author of the, the op-ed who was angry with God? Is there a part of you that might see God as brutal or hateful because death is in this world? Do you see him as hateful because he said he would judge sin and someone was going to die? You will surely die. If that's the case, if, if you wrestle with that, and if that's the case... You're putting yourself above God. You're putting yourself above the creator. He created us, not we ourselves. See sin for what it is. See it for what it is. It is a rejection. A, a re, even saying, you know, this couple of square feet, what's a big deal? Oh, God told me not to touch it. What does he know? Why? Why ask why? He said don't touch it. We want to ask why, but he said just don't do this. You got the whole world just don't do this one thing. See, see sin for what it is, a rejection, an offense, so deep, so deep, so offensive that God said, even if you touch this, it brings death. But then see that he offers this grand, amazing, wonderful solution. See his love, amazing. See his grace that he, he, he bought you with his blood, you with his blood our savior he came to earth as a human and he felt human pain and suffering and he offered you life through that through that offering he made see what love has done the cross has overcome the curse of death now can you see that can you see that he died for you but that's not all not all his mortal body silent cold in that tomb it was filled again with life, the breath of life. And he promises that for you too, forever, forever. But you must believe. You must believe and you must receive. I can't do it for you. Nobody can. 
on the cross, Jesus gave himself for us. Through the resurrection, he gives himself to us. Think about that. I promise the Spirit to fill you. On the cross, he gave himself for us. Through the resurrection, he gives himself to us. If, if, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. It's that same power that rolled away the stone, the same power that raised him from the grave, the same power can be alive in you today if, if you receive him. If you receive him, you must receive him. Don't see him as hateful, don't see him as brutal. See his love amazing. Receive him. Receive what he promised. It's a beautiful thing by his Holy Spirit to you to accomplish what he did. Living again beyond this world. Beyond this world. We can live again beyond this world. He'll give you that promise where, where death and evil will be no more. On the cross, Jesus gave himself for you. Through the resurrection, he gives himself to you. Receive that this morning. I, I, I pray if there's anyone in here, you would. You would.